This is the Dad Devotionals Podcast with Dave Domzowski. Each week, I'll bring you compelling interviews that'll educate, inspire, and motivate you to become the father and husband our Lord called you to be. We're a community of devoted dads who want to strengthen our faith and family and live out our true purpose in this life. Please, won't you join us? Just text me at 717-913-5671, and you'll be welcomed into my Devoted Dads community. And if you want to support the podcast, we invite you to purchase a product, a book, or a course in our affiliate shop on daddevotionals.com. You can also contribute monthly at patreon.com slash daddevotionals. Now, here's today's show. God bless. Hey, guys. Are you in a leadership role in your current job? If so, I have a course for you. It's called Heroic Leadership. There is only one thing that's certain, and that is there will be uncertainty. But you don't have to wait around for things to happen. You can take charge of your life, your people, and your career. Instead of being reactive, you can be proactive. You can pivot when things go awry, which they inevitably will. Instead of operating from a fixed mindset, you can operate from a growth mindset. You can see opportunity, not lack. Instead of focusing on only yourself, you can come from a place of empathy. You can be that rising tide that lifts other boats. It's time you forge ahead with an inspired plan and the motivation to execute it. You see the caliber of people you'll be spending time with here. As Jim Rome said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, you're spending time with Jeffrey Hazlett, who will guide you through what it's like to answer the call as a C-suite executive. You're listening to Sarah Staley, who has dealt with many crises in her own time at Stanford University Medical Center. You'll also hear from Sean Maroney, who has suffered from obesity and other issues his entire life. Yet all these people are stronger for their experience and will teach you how to overcome anything. Now is the time to be extraordinary. Now is the time to step up. Now is the time to be your best when things are at their worst. It's time to answer the call. Join us today. Go to daddevotionals.com slash leader right now. That's daddevotionals.com slash leader to get instant access to this course. Now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the show, guys. This is a special edition of the show because I'm joined by my co-host, Deacon Sean Reed. Sean is a leadership and career coach based in Ontario, Canada, and serves as a deacon in his local Orthodox church. You can find Sean online at arrowheadcoaching.com. It's great to be with Sean again because he appeared in episode 45 of the show, so be sure to check that out. Our featured guest today is John Stange. John is the lead pastor of Core Creek Community Church in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, my old stopping grounds, and he's also an adjunct professor at Karen University. He's the author of Dwell on These Things, a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. This debuted just last year in 2021. John also hosts three podcasts, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, Daily Devotions with Pastor John, and Dwell on These Things, which have been collectively downloaded more than 5 million times. John joins us in the show, and we're talking today about developing the mindset of a leader. So enjoy the program. John, welcome to Dad Devotionals. It's great to have you. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Our topic today, gentlemen, is the mindset of a leader. So let's dive right in. Before we begin, John, tell us a little bit about the book as we get started here. Why did you write it? 
It's interesting. So I, I've been serving in pastoral ministry for about 25 years, and a big part of that involves preaching, and another big part of that involves counseling. And I've noticed that frequently the the messages that that we think we agree with don't always end up being the very things that we're preaching to our own hearts. And so, I, you know, I think of this from the standpoint of putting together a sermon each week, and I'm preaching different things to our congregation that are based on what Scripture says. And then I ask myself the question, am I preaching this same message to my own heart? And frequently I would notice different areas in my own life where I wasn't really preaching that message to my own heart. I was preaching that to other people and believing that, but not really applying it to myself. And I started thinking about what, you know, what would it look like if I started to change that internal dialogue to make it more in line with what Scripture actually says? And what would it look like if I started talking to myself the way God talks to us in Scripture? And, uh, and so that was kind of the genesis of that idea. It's something that I now apply in uh, my preaching and in my counseling and also in my, my personal life. It was something that was a very edifying self-study and something that I was pretty eager to put down on paper as a book to help others. Absolutely. So since what we're focused on is, is men in their leadership roles, so whether it be at work, home, church, community, you know, how important is what you're talking about, the essence of the book, our thought life and what we're telling ourselves? And, you know, why do you believe we have such that we have that bad habit, really, of, of dwelling on the negative and of also, you know, not always practicing what we preach? Mm-hmm. And then I think down the line, you know, especially in a leadership role, you know, really, no matter in what role we're in, it kind of leads to a sense of imposter syndrome. Can you touch on that a little bit? And then I'm going to let uh, Sean jump in. Yeah, something that that I've become pretty convinced of is that behavior follows belief. So all the behaviors that we demonstrate in our life, all the patterns that that we demonstrate in our life, come back to something that we must believe about why we're doing something that we're doing. So if if I continually preach a message to my heart that is not in line with the gospel, then evidence of a, a false gospel is going to come out in my life in the way I treat myself, in the way I treat my spouse, in the way I treat my kids, in the way I handle my role of leadership, in the way I, I make demands of other people or um, uh, display that people have value or don't have value. So behavior follows belief. And I want to be reinforcing things to my own mind and my own heart that actually line up with what Scripture says instead of adopting a worldly mindset or a selfish mindset or something like that, because it's going to come out in my life somewhere. And since we as believers in Christ want our lives to be Christ-like, we want to glorify Christ in all areas, uh, I want to be very careful to make sure that the things that I'm reinforcing to my heart line up with what he actually says. John, you know, first, first off, thanks for writing this uh, book. It's amazing, as you know, uh, it's, it, there's, the scriptures are full of, of, of messages about the thought life. You know, um, the Psalms, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit, and the, all these, the, the Apostle Paul is constantly talking about these things. It's, it's actually for a wonder that for so long, these, these kind of topics were taboo, you know, in, you know, in, in Christian culture and in culture more broadly. Um, you know, you talk about the, the thought life, and, and one of the experiences that I had, you know, you're a coach too, is when we're, when we're, our clients are, are 
our parishioners, you know, when we're, we are experiencing these difficult thoughts, sometimes it just feels so real, right? It's so fused to us. It's so real. Uh, it doesn't, the notion that this is something that is a choice, that something that is, that we can turn away from and, or switch or substitute with, you know, something that's spiritually edifying, something that's spiritually healthy for us. It doesn't even seem possible, does it? You know, it's just we get locked into it. Can you speak a little bit about about that challenge that you see folks kind of going through as they kind of get fused onto these difficult thoughts? Totally. And I, I think a lot of what you just said comes down to our propensity to be harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So mm-hmm. I am more critical of myself than I am of just about anybody else in my life. And I've noticed in the years of, of counseling and, and talking with people that the things people are saying to themselves are not the type of things that they could even imagine saying to people that they don't even particularly like. And so one of the things that I, I like to encourage uh, people to do if we're sitting down and talking about these things after they explain some of the things that they've been talking about to themselves and, and kind of you know stressing that on and on and just expressing how they feel stuck in that pattern, I like to envision them or ask them to kind of picture this with me, them having that, that conversation with someone they love. So if it's a parent, you know, picking one of their children and making this very personal and say, all right, would you say those things to your son or your daughter? Uh, if it's somebody that, you know, expresses the fact that, that they have, uh, you know, close friends, a best friend, it's like, okay, would you say these things to your best friend? And it's also kind of interesting because when you look at some of these things, they wouldn't even say it to people they don't like. And yet these are the type of things that they're saying to themselves. And it's like, well, where did this come from? And a lot of times it comes from the fact that, that we treat the gospel like it's for other people. And we forget that this is something that we're supposed to be delighting in all throughout the course of our life. It's food that we're supposed to be uh, enjoying all throughout the course of our life. It's not something that's just for when we first start our walk with Christ, and it's not something that we're just supposed to be preaching to others. It's also something that we're supposed to be marinating in all throughout our lives so that we're continually reminded of the joy we have in Christ and the fact that we have hope that's anchored in him, not in our circumstances. And so much of the the things that we preach to our hearts really are just evidence of the way worldly philosophies and worldly mindsets have crept into our lives, because so much of the diet of what we've been receiving preaches those things to ourselves. And, uh, and we're hearing that with our ears, we're seeing that with our eyes, and then we start to believe it, and we treat ourselves like that's the message that's true. And, um, and ultimately, it's, it's really a, a matter of us getting back to what Scripture says and mm-hmm. applying the truth of the gospel in all areas. And, and it does seem to, to break the cycle if we can expose that pattern and then, and then reapply the gospel like it's supposed to be applied. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, we, mm-hmm. so often we think of God, the Father, as sort of his arms crossed and looking down disapprovingly on us. Mm. And, and that parable's, no, God sees you and he races down the, the mm-hmm. laneway to, to wrap you in his arms. You know, that's the father that we have. That's Certainly. the father that we have. But yeah, we, tell ourselves, also, we tell ourselves it's something different, don't we? Right, we do. And, and your words just remind me, too, of um, in Psalm 23, where it talks about, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mm-hmm. So God, the perfection of goodness, God is the perfection of mercy. 
And he's not just casually observing us. He is following us. He's chasing us down and he's seeking to be present in our life. And, uh, and that's a good reminder. And, and the, you know, again, the story of the prodigal son, like you just mentioned there, illustrates that in a, in a vivid way, how the Lord is not ashamed to associate with those that he calls his own, even when we've spent some time veering in a, an unhealthy direction. He's mm-hmm. quite eager for us to repent and come back to him and, and enjoy the fellowship that he wanted to have with us to begin with. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, guys, as you were both talking there, I couldn't help but think, after we, you know, take on the mind of Christ in this essence, take on, you know, what he tells us about ourselves, dwelling on the proper things that, that you use from that, from the Philippians verse, um, how do we then kind of flip the script and then use that same mindset and act like the prodigal son's father then in our, all of our roles? How do we, you know, emulate, emulate the Lord in term, in, as, a, as a father ourselves, as a husband? In our in our role in the in the church, in our role with our uh, for the people that we actually lead in our work environment, can, can you speak to that? Yeah, certainly. I, I think one of the things that helps us is what we're given in Galatians chapter five, because in Galatians chapter five, there's a contrast. And that chapter earlier in the chapter, it talks about this idea of worldly mindsets and worldly viewpoints that result in worldly behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then it contrasts that with the fruit of the spirit. And it says the, you know, the fact that the Holy spirit lives within you will produce this kind of fruit. And so you have, you know, discussion of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so for those of us serving in a position of leadership, whether in our household or in our church or in our occupation, I think we need to be asking ourselves, can people see the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated in how I respond to a crisis, or in how I respond to an ungrateful person, or in how I respond to somebody who always seems to find the negative in in whatever? Uh, I'll tell you one anonymous instance that was very recent in my role of of leadership. Uh, I have uh, someone in my congregation who always seems to see things from the negative, and this person just kind of reflected something to me that I knew was unnecessarily negative. And uh, I thought in that moment, I thought, how should I respond? And there's a couple of ways you could respond. And, and admittedly, I've tried them all and even the bad ones. Right. And so at this season of my, my life, I'm like, all right, I don't want to go back to making those mistakes. And so I thought, how can I display the fruit of the spirit in this moment? And it was a moment where I needed to show grace. I just needed to show grace to this person. They were unnecessarily stressed about something. I am a pretty safe person for them to express it to, so they expressed it to me. And uh, my response was one that was gracious in nature. And I hope that it had an effect on them because I know that I could have gotten defensive or I could have gotten a little bit abrasive. Uh, But I chose to be gracious. And in my mind, it was a conscious decision to display that fruit instead of the selfish fruit of of worldliness or or uh, you know envy or argumentation or all the things that are listed in, in Galatians five earlier. How do we do a better job of making that choice in the moment, like like you did with this uh, person here? I know you had a few interactions in the past, but uh, you know in our leadership roles, it seems like you know we do have some similar interactions, but a lot of times we get it wrong. So so what what can we do in those situations? I think prayer and practice are probably two biggies. 
And uh, and a third I'll add to that is is uh, just surrounding yourself with with people who you see implementing this. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I believe that ultimately, if we're going to display the fruit of the spirit, I don't think that that's something that finds its source in us. So we're, we're saying, Lord, please accomplish your work in me. So I'm not dependent on my own strength or my own wisdom. So prayer is a big part of that. Practice is just a matter of us, you know, pra- practicing the spiritual discipline of living out what we claim to believe. And I think over time, as we continue to practice that, it, it starts to become something we're more familiar with. We remember the last time we did this and, and, and how it was helpful to follow the counsel of Scripture. And so that gets reinforced in our mind and reinforced in our life. And, um, and then surrounding yourself with people that you see doing it. I, I will admit to you, anytime I've ever had an assessment done of my spiritual gifts, so I don't know if you've ever looked into that to see where it, you know the Lord may have gifted you, if you're a gifted leader, if you're a gifted teacher, if you're gifted in some other way, but people are surprised that my lowest tends to be mercy whenever I uh, take that, that test. And people think, how on earth did you end up in pastoral ministry when... Your lowest score always seems to be on mercy, and it confuses me too, but I've chosen not to allow that to be an excuse for me not to be merciful. I look I look at that as a challenge. I'm like, okay, I am not particularly gifted in areas of mercy, so what I can do is surround myself with people who are gifted that way, and then hopefully what I learn from them will rub off on me, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, I'm particularly gifted that way, but I can learn to practice those things as a fruit of my faith in Christ, because I see that, that influence of the believers that he surrounded me with bearing fruit in my own life. So their gifts are rubbing off on me, and hopefully the ways in which I'm gifted helps bolster their faith as well. That's the double-edged sword of some of these assessments. Sometimes we can kind of label ourselves in a way that tells us a story that's unhelpful. You know, I'm, right. I'm just not a merciful person. See, it says it right there on the paper. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, it, and then it's like, all right, well, now tell me where in Scripture it tells you you have an excuse not to be merciful, exactly. right? Exactly. It's exactly. not there. <laughs> and, and, and so what came to mind as you were talking, John, was, you know, um, you know all the references uh, the Apostle Paul makes to the, the, being a spiritual athlete, running the race, the the work, the hard work of this. He's talking about this, this, the, the spiritual thought life. He's talking about that resilience that we need to run this race as Christians. And just, but that's, he's using those words on purpose. It's a, it's, it's a task, you know, it's, it's a daily training, you know, to, to actually, have this sort of habit that you're talking about in your book and you're giving us a great tool to, to cultivate this shift from these unhelpful thoughts and stories that come into our lives for, to and convert that into the spiritual energy, the spiritual fuel that we need. Talk about a little bit about that effort that's involved in, 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 in making this a real habit in our lives. I, I think a lot of times for us, it can be challenging at first, anytime we're trying to incorporate a new habit, because we're, we're trying to bust out of something that's a bad habit that's probably stayed there for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I think there needs to be an element of grace when we're trying to incorporate new spiritual disciplines, 
uh, even in our own our own spiritual practice. And so if we've spent the majority of our life speaking to ourselves a particular way, or if our lives have been spent or in our, our thinking has been spent uh, over the course of our lives, just dwelling on things that are unhelpful. I think first off, our go-to is prayer, where we ask the Lord to to intervene on our behalf, and we ask Him to to just help us to see and to value things like He values things. But one of the things that I'm grateful for is that Scripture tells us that the Lord loves to do a couple things for us in regard to this. One is that He gives us the eyes of Christ, so He helps us to begin seeing things like He sees things, like the mind of Christ, as Scripture talks about that. And then also, when, when you look at what Scripture tells us, we're, we're being told that our, our mind is being transformed, that the Holy Spirit is actively transforming our thinking. And when I look at that, you know, that's a process type of term, where it's talking about the, the fact that Scripture, is, you know, is revealing that the Holy Spirit, that He is actively transforming our thinking. This is a lifelong process. So I think first, we need to expose to the light what we're wrestling with and what we're struggling with so it doesn't continue to master us. But then we need to patiently allow the Lord to accomplish his work as this transformation takes place. And I think it's probably wise to celebrate progress, not in a self-righteous way, but just in a grateful way where we Mm -hmm. look at things and say, all right, I realize that it seems like last year at this time, I was really struggling with this in my thought life a lot more than I feel like I am right now. This feels like progress. I feel like I'm growing in this area. Lord, would you help me in this coming year to continue to help growing in this area? Will you help me to continue to notice and pay attention to this? They always say things that get measured get accomplished. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you measure something, uh, it, it tends to tends to get accomplished. And so I think it's probably useful for us to just take an honest account of what's taking place in our life, what we notice that we're wrestling with, what we notice that we're we're growing with, and um and just hold it up before the Lord and ask the Lord uh, to give us his discernment and his eyes related to these things. And I believe that he will do that. I've, I've certainly seen him do that in my life as he brings things to my attention through reading his word and and through the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I find myself noticing things that I don't think I would have naturally noticed. And as he brings these things to our attention, he gives us the opportunity to start thinking differently about them. Or we can resist him. And there's plenty of people that do that, you know, where they'll, they'll just say, you know, I, I see what you say, but I kind of like my way. And so then we crash and burn. And then the Lord's like, all right, all right. Have, have you have you learned now? You know, you, you could have learned the easy way. You chose the hard way. Either way, you got there, you know, so. It, it's it's funny, John, you, you know, I, I can tell you're a coach because you're talking about the, that measurement quote. And all I, all I thought about there was smart goals. And yeah. I'm like, I better start writing them down. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> if it gets measured, it gets done. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about let's get a little bit personal with you and talk about the negative self-talk that you've wrestled with. And what are you doing to fight through it? It's interesting because so much of the negative self-talk that I've wrestled with has come right back to my role as a pastor. Mm. It is not easy to lead a group of people. It is a very transparent thing that you take on when you when you agree to do so because you're always receiving feedback from others and there are people in your life who love you very conditionally so they love you as long as you do something for them and uh, and and meet their preference in some way and if you choose not to they make it very clear that you are now off the list right 
And so you can, and, and one of the things I noticed that I was doing was I was adopting some of those unhealthy mindsets that were coming from people that were showing me conditional love. I was applying that to myself. So not every sermon that I preach is a home run. Sometimes I'll preach a sermon that I think is going to be delivered well. I think I've prepared well, and then I'll enter the pulpit. And for whatever reason, I'm just kind of tongue-tied that, that Sunday, or it just didn't connect somehow with the congregation. And I could just see it on their faces. It just didn't connect. It didn't land like I thought it was going to land. And there were times that I would then leave a context like that. So you're already emotionally drained from preaching and, and leading. And then you, you know, it's almost like this adrenaline is like uh, balancing out in your body the rest of the day on Sunday from, from Sunday morning. And I don't trust my judgment in moments like that. I tend to be more forgetful. I've noticed this in my life. I, I tend to be more forgetful after I've preached, and I tend to be more down on myself and easily discouraged. So it's not helpful if you start preaching a form of unconditional, unbiblical love to yourself in a moment like that when you're in, your, in, a, in a weak spot, and I frequently would find myself doing that. So you've just spent, you spent all week preparing something that you hope will benefit people in their walk with Christ. You deliver it, and then because whatever metric you are using to measure it, it doesn't seem to measure up. Then you spend the rest of the next week beating yourself up about it. I have done that to myself so many times that it just seems ridiculous. And uh, finally, I got to a spot where I thought, this is unhealthy. This is going to burn me out. This is going to sap all of my joy. And the truth is, half the time I was wrong in my assessment. Things that I thought weren't connecting absolutely were. And and I'd find out sometimes a long time after that how, mm -hmm. how something that I thought fell flat was a pivotal moment in someone's spiritual walk. And I thought, I need to stop measuring my Sunday morning preaching by worldly standards, and I need to stop preaching a message to my heart afterward that's the opposite of what I just preached from a pulpit. And so that's one area where this is really applied to my day-to-day -day life and the ministry that the Lord has given me. And I know that when I make a practice of dwelling on things that are helpful and godly and, and, and Christ-honoring, that it makes a huge difference in my quality of life and in my ability to lead. Absolutely. Sean, I'm going to give you a last question, but I just, I just want to say this to you, John. I, I couldn't help but think, as you, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're up there preaching, you're up there giving your all, and when you step down, you're, you're mentally drained, you're probably physically drained. All I can think is that negative self-talk isn't just coming from you. It's coming from the evil one. And I believe it. to dissuade you in, in your effectiveness mm -hmm. uh, of what you said. And, and you know, you, if you have people coming up to you, even a, you know, a week later saying, hey, this touched me here and here. Yeah, come on, man. You, you know, you know, you, you know, you're doing what the Lord called you to do. And he's just trying to get in your way. So I just I want to tell you that right. as a brother. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because I think spiritual warfare is a real thing, yeah. just like Paul describes in Ephesians chapter six. You know, this isn't our battle is not against flesh and blood, you know, and uh, and I, I truly believe that 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 can be something that, you know, the devil would love us preaching a false gospel to our hearts because that'll come out in our leadership. It'll come out in our preaching. It'll come out in our life. And, um, and that would be very, very unwise and very unhealthy for us as believers in Christ who have a much better option. Absolutely. Sean, you, you got the last question. Yeah. So, you know, our listeners, John, uh, tomorrow, 
or later on today after they've listened to this podcast are going to go into uh, a difficult conversation or a difficult decision uh, in their leadership, whether that's leadership in their family, leadership in their community, their church, or their their company, they're going to make a tough call or have a difficult conversation. And immediately, that little gremlin's going to start chirping away yeah. at them. What what practical or what what word would you have to give to them as they're about to step into that arena again? I, I think I would just ask them to start asking themselves, whose voice am I listening to right now? You know, very simply, just wh- whose voice is this? Is it my own voice? Or is it a voice of accusation that, I mean, Scripture tells us that that Satan is the accuser of the brethren right? That's how he's described. And uh, and I think it's wise for us to just ask, all right, whose voice am I listening to? Because if it's the voice of Christ, then I'm going to be hearing things that line up with what Scripture says. But you know what, you know what gets um, in the way of that? I think a lot of times we're unfamiliar with what Scripture says. And I think for many of us as believers, we would really benefit from spending a lot more time meditating on what Scripture actually says. I think sometimes many of us as believers are are well-intentioned, but we walk around with some level of spiritual ignorance, and as a result, it impacts our ability to be discerning. Where you think about, you know, think about the media diet that most of us have. You know, we're watching TV, we're listening to things on the radio, we're seeing billboards, there's content being thrown at us all the time, we're on social media. How much of it is Christ-honoring? Very little, Right. And yet the, the majority of the messages that we're receiving over the course of any given day, it's just worldliness after worldliness after worldliness. And that's the steady diet that our minds are being fed. And so if we don't interrupt that with the Word of God, if we don't interrupt that with prayer based on what Scripture actually counsels us to pray, then we're just setting ourselves up for failure. But if we make ourselves highly acquainted with what Scripture says— we're going to be feeding our mind a diet of things that are healthy to dwell on. And when we see something that, that comes our way, like that test that you just mentioned, we're going to be well-equipped to filter it and to discern what we're actually hearing and recognize whether or not it's something that we should agree with or something that we should reject. But I think a lot of it comes back to what does our diet of information look like at present? And if our diet is like 99% worldliness, I think we need to flip that somehow. Great point. Well, I will say this in terms of that diet, at least on social media, I've found a way to uh, kind of uh, go around and circumvent the algorithm on Facebook and Twitter. I only follow accounts and I only allow accounts in my newsfeed that tell me quotes from, you know, the saints, quotes from uh, Bible verses. So that's a trick that I use. And, uh, you know, I'm not shrouded in all the all the craziness going on in the world. So just a little tech tip right there for, all, for everyone listening. <laughs> so, so you don't want to hear political arguments and you don't want to watch like a whole bunch of cat memes or anything like that. You're just you're choosing well, to, to cat memes. Maybe. <laughs> OK, well, I can't you know. do, I can't do the politics anymore. I just I can't, I can't do it. I'm, I'm made political at this point. Yeah, I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, guys, we're just about out of time. John, I want to give you a chance to tell us where we can connect with you and where folks can pick out a copy of this awesome book. 
Well, I, I really, again, appreciate the opportunity to be able to spend time with both of you guys this evening. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, the easiest way to connect with me is through my website, desirejesus.com. And the book Dwell on These Things can be found just about anywhere. So if your local bookstore carries it, uh, people are telling me that they're having an easy time finding it at most Barnes and Nobles or book, Books a Million or, or different Christian bookstores that carry it. Uh, you could also find it on Amazon, or you can find it right on my site, desirejesus.com. And if listeners are interested in reading the first three chapters for free, they could read them for free right on my website. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, John, I got to tell you, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I learned a lot. Um, and Sean and I both really appreciated. And guys, for my co-host, Sean, thank you all for tuning in. Now it's your turn to put these lessons that you learned tonight into practice. Go out there and take the world by storm. And God bless. Thank you for listening to Dad Devotionals. Be sure to text me at 717-913-5671 to join the Devoted Dads community. Do me a favor and share this episode with at least one other person who could benefit. Until next time, take care and God bless.